Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Mr. Chauvin, as to count one, Based on the verdict of the jury, finding you guilty of unintentional second-degree murder while committing a felony under Minnesota Statute 609.19, Subdivision 2, Paren 1, it is the judgment of the court that you now stand convicted of that offense. Pursuant to Minnesota Statute uh, Section 609.04, Counts 2 and 3 will remain unadjudicated as they are lesser offenses of Count 1. As sentence for Count 1, the court commits you to the custody of the Commissioner of Corrections for a period of 270 months. That's 270. That is a 10-year addition to the presumptive sentence of 150 months. This is based on your uh, abuse of a position of trust and authority and also the particular cruelty shown to George Floyd. You're granted credit for 199 days already served. Pay the mandatory surcharge of $78 to be paid from prison wages. You're prohibited from possessing firearms, ammunition, or explosives for the remainder of your life. Provide a DNA sample as required by law. Register as a predatory offender as required by law. And then you will receive a copy of the order and also the attached memorandum explaining the court's analysis. Anything further from the state? If this needs to be decided, we just ask that it be executed forthwith. Senator is remanded to the custody of the sheriff to be transported uh, back to the DOC or whichever custody is currently holding him. Anything for the defense? No, you are. All right. Thank you. We are adjourned. Hey, NBC News viewers. Thanks for checking out our YouTube channel. Subscribe by clicking on that button down here and click on any of the videos over here to watch the latest interviews, show highlights, and digital exclusives. Thanks for watching. And you just heard, of course, the excerpts from the Derek Chauvin sentence there in in the uh, case, of course, the, the officer who kneeled on George Floyd's neck, causing his uh, his death. And I uh, just heard the excerpt that this is the Bastion News Radio show on the Bastion News Radio Network, WCOM in uh, Carborough, and, of course, IBM TV and uh, Big Mind Entertainment. I'm L.A. Bachelor. We thank you for joining us. You could have been doing anything in the world. You decided to be a part of this broadcast. We really uh, appreciate you. 646-929-0130, the number to get in touch with us. 
press one to get on the line if you have a question or comment. You can hit us up there. Of course, uh, Pad Nation on Facebook or Pad Nation 2 at Twitter. You can make your comments known there as well. I want to bring in my guest to talk about this. Of course, he is the co-host of the Unity Law broadcast, the uh, broadcast about law enforcement uh, and their relationships and their uh, partnerships, if you will, with black and brown communities. He talks about this all the time. He's a chief of police himself. The show airs Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern time. And he is uh, Chief Virgil Green. And Chief, always good to have you on, sir. We appreciate you. Hey, thank you, L.A. Always good to be on with you, sir. Absolutely. So you heard the Derek Chauvin uh, sentencing that came down from the, the judge, the judge talking, pointing out the the 10-year uh, sentence added on, the two, 270 uh, months added on with the 150, essentially making it 22 and a half years. When you heard the the sentence, what was your thought in terms of uh, the officer, the family, and the overall picture of justice? Well, you know, L.A., I think one of the what I took what I took away from it was the fact that, as you know, and everybody else knows, you know, no amount of of time will will comfort will. I mean, it may comfort the family to know that there is some type of justice for George Floyd, uh, but uh, you know, at the end of the day, his life was taken uh, by this police officer in such a callous, reckless way, and and I believe his brother. Uh, may have said similar words when in the sentencing phase of, of Chauvin. Um, but, you know, it just, it was just done in such a, a, a manner that there was just no regards for human life. I think, you know, Chauvin would have probably treated an animal better than he would uh, George Floyd on, on that day. Um, you know, again, I think it gives some, some some relief to the family to know that the, the the criminal justice system has worked in in this part. You know, there's still you know three other officers that are facing state charges as well as you know the the, the federal charges. So um, uh, you know, and for me, I think it was just to see that a jury um, they looked at all the evidence they uh, on both sides. And they made a decision uh, based upon the facts of the case. And, you know, L.A., it kind of reminds me of, of, of what was the people, what were the, the juries in the Rodney King verdict looking at 30 years ago? Uh, and you look at the, something just as similar, uh, but, you know, <laughs> they didn't have their, their uh, they also didn't have his knee on on Rodney King's neck. I mean, they were beating him with batons. So it just makes you wonder uh, how those two similarities, uh, one got it wrong and one jury got it right. Well, I mean, how right did we, did they get it? Um, You and I talked about this once the, you know, he was found guilty and you talked about the family 
if they see this as real justice or the kind of justice we expected. I know the prosecutors wanted a lot more time, uh, yeah. and they didn't get they didn't get that. So uh, I I get the the premise of your comment in terms of from Rodney King to now three decades later, but and and both were in in similar fashions on TV. We just didn't have mm-hmm. as much social media then. But, you know, the way, again, on your show, I brought up the arrogance and the boldness of some of these officers, these people who commit these heinous crimes, these fatalities, that they, these murders, that they just are very arrogant about who they are. And you remember, Derek was looking up like, okay, I'm doing this. I dare anybody to stop me. And I know the judge mentioned stuff about, well, I'm going to add this time because of the cruelty and the viciousness and and the abuse of power on that. But one would still think is the way this man's life was taken and they still don't want to show him the respect by passing this bill, still not passed, that is 22 and a half years enough. On top of the fact that if you take away that part of what the judge put on there, it really was a lot less than that. So did we really see real justice in this case? You know, I I, I don't think we really saw real justice. I think you saw the, a jury that uh, were, that was unanimous in their decision. And the, obviously the judge you know, he used what guidelines that he has at his discretion. And like you said, the, the, the prosecutors wanted 30 years, and, and he didn't go that far. Uh, it, it just kind of goes to show you that even the judge who sat there and saw everything, heard everything, uh, and he himself, did not take it to the highest limit that he could have. And so that makes you question why he didn't do, why he didn't make the decision that he made uh, for the simple fact. And, 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 gotta, and, and she too, would, to your point, I mean, cut you off, but if there was a unanimous decision, if they all felt he was guilty as charged and they didn't, they didn't, I guess, prosecutors in the, uh, they decided not to push forth on the lesser charges, but but if they all felt he was guilty as charged, then why give him, I think it was ten and a half years or whatever it was, on top of, it, it would have been that if the, the, if I'm not understanding, correct me, if had not the, the judge added on the other 12 and a half or the 12 or whatever it was. And so if, if these, these so-called you know, citizens of their peers, his peers said, yeah, this dude is guilty, yet they only sentenced him to that kind of amount of time, then how guilty do they really think he was? Yeah, and again, you know, I just go back to the the judge, his decision, you know, seemed like to, to me, you know, he, the 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 jury came back and they 
and like you said, you know, made a unanimous decision. There wasn't any any questions as to uh, Chauvin being guilty. You know, one of the things that, you know, I thought about L.A. was the fact that did the judge sit down with this jury and get this uh, his perspective of all these juries, what uh, how they came to that decision, and moving forward, how will that help him, not influence, but help him make that decision based upon the law and what the prosecutors were asking for to sentencing him to the maximum of, of 30 years. And it just appears that this judge did not do that. So it goes back to the the question of, you know, some people will say, or they have already said, you know, the 22 and a half years that he got was, was not uh, enough. And, but the judge made that decision. So it makes it, you have to question why this judge didn't do the max uh, because under the law he could have, and so is is he being biased to a police officer that he saw himself kill a man, murder a man without any remorse whatsoever? Uh, that just you know there there's a it it still goes to show you LA that there's still this part of the criminal justice system that is that's going to give bad police officers somewhat of the benefit of the doubt. And instead of saying, this jury, this is what they're going to recommend and this is what I'm going to, to follow through with. Because really, at the end of the day, to your point, uh, Chief Green, is that prosecutors tend to be worried about crossing police officers because they want them to testify, this, that, and the other as opposed to judges where they are the overseers, They have the ultimate authority, even in a jury selection type of case, they can override in a lot of different cases to set aside decisions and things of that nature. So you're right. His, uh, his lack of abuse of power is going to be in question. It'd be really interesting to see what he has to say about that. Um, if if any transcripts or anything, or interviews or anything comes out or any leakage comes out in terms of why he didn't go the full 30 years with prosecutors wanted him uh, to, to, to go. I know the uh, head, the uh, prosecutor's office, attorney general's office, and Keith Ellis wanted him to go that far. It just it did not go. If you're just joining us, folks, we're talking with Chief uh, Virgil Green, of course, uh, co-host of You and the Law on the Bastion News Radio Network and uh, WCOM in Chapel Hill. Uh, Chief, let's break down the three areas, or at least the two areas, of where do we go from here. And let's start with law enforcement. So, if Derek Chauvin gets 22 and a half, and again, going back to the fact that, hey, it really wasn't 22 and a half. It was really less than that. Mm-hmm. Um, then should law enforcement, law enforcement agencies, bad apples in particular, uh, be more concerned 
or less concerned based on the verdict and based on the sentencing that happened with Derek Chauvin in this case? Well, Elliot, I'm going to answer that question a different way. I think depending upon what part of the country things happen with police officers uh, will determine how these, how officers are ultimately uh, convicted or not convicted. Uh, I think some of the listeners may say, well, you know, it shouldn't matter. No, it shouldn't matter. No matter where you're at, the laws that apply in say North Carolina or similar laws in Oklahoma or similar laws in, in, in California. Uh, but the jury, uh, they're the ones that's, that's given this, this authority, this wide authority to, uh, to convict or come back. Police officers in this situation should really, uh, look at the fact that here was, here was a man who took the life out of another man and no matter how you feel about black people or what other other race that was just pure and simple murder and the fact that you know you mentioned this before la it was just like hey my hands in my pocket and i don't really care what any of you people are saying and i really don't care what may happen to me because i'm the police and so uh you know, I think police officers, you know, this goes back to the accountability. Um, but it, And also, let me say this, L.A., I think what agencies head individuals in positions like myself and Chief Humphrey in as police chief, when you have an officer who has a pattern and a history of well-documented uh, policy violations, such as Chauvin did, I think he had somewhere up to like 18 uh, disciplinary complaints. There is no reason why he should have made it past the second or third. And so no matter, you know, we've talked about this L.A. with the, the, the FOP and how they want to protect bad officers. Uh, I think as police chief, if you take this to your community and say, I've got an officer who I can't get rid of because of a contract that the city has with the FOP and the bargaining rights, and so my hands are tied, and I think when you have some citizens who start putting some some pressure on uh, other individuals uh, that are policymakers, you're going to see some things that's going to change. But that's another thing that really needs to happen is that, you know, when it comes to these bad officers and they have just multiple after multiple disciplinary uh, complaints, uh, this officer, George Floyd, would still be alive today if Chauvin would have been uh, uh, terminated, you know, on his second or third complaint. But, you know, if if the FOP, like you said, is if the if people can't be well if good law enforcement like yourself or even lower ranks can't feel comfortable in going to the higher ranks 
to take care of this. How does any of this change? It, it, it goes back to a conversation I had on your broadcast with you and Chief Humphrey last week about not only the boldness and arrogance, but if, I mean, forget about the, the civil side. We'll talk about transparency. But if if the rank and file doesn't have confidence that their voice will be heard or they feel like they're going to, if they say something, there's some repercussions because, you know, Derek Chauvin's, I'm making hypotheticals, you know, uncle is in the, the ivory tower. Then, you know, how does anything get done? Why would any law enforcement, even with this guy going to jail, 22 and a half, and I don't know, um, Chief, you probably know better than I if he'll get time off for behavior. I know they gave him the credit for 199 days or something like that, uh, so maybe he gets more. But if if that's the case, then why would we ever think anything would change? Why would any bad apples think that they will be um, get in trouble, even if they did what they did, even if they did worse? They're maybe they're banking on well, it won't happen to me. Yeah. And you're right, L.A. One, and you know, after the the death of George Floyd, just think about all the other uh, incidents that have happened since his death with police and 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 in the black community. Not a single police officer uh, stopped to say, "Man, I just watched a, a police officer in Minnesota." murder a man uh, with his knee on his neck. Um, let me, you know, he's going through uh, uh, some pretty serious charges. So let me kind of, let me, let me hold back. Let me change what I'm doing or how I'm acting or the way I'm responding to this, to this situation. You haven't seen that. And, and clearly, you know, we, we, we talked about this incident that happened I think on our podcast show last week, L.A., with uh, with what happened in Monroe, Louisiana, with the Louisiana State Troopers and uh, Ronald Green, whose death was in uh, uh, in 2019. So much has come out after the death and how this man died, and you've got a group of state troopers who have collectively lied and, and, and gave false information as to the manner of this man's death. And so you've got a, a, a segment of officers, and, and not all of them, but a segment of officers who feel like, you know, yeah, that's their Chauvin. He's going to get what he that's, – that's him. But for me, you know, I'm not worried about what I'm doing. You know, you know we have this. And so uh, again, it just quite, it makes you be realistic and, and ask yourself, LA, after the verdict of uh, of Chauvin, what will change, if any? Because you continue to see the the patterns of police officers across the country violate people's civil rights and even murder them, and at some point. Uh, it's just it's there's no criminal charges that they face. I'm interested to know, Chief Green, what's been the reaction amongst your 
your colleagues, both black, white, whatever. Have you heard anything? Have you received anything on your your Unilaw Facebook page? Uh, no, we, you know, not a lot of comments about it. I think I've personally I've talked to uh, quite a few people, and 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 they were just as outraged as uh, as everybody else. Uh, they were they were expecting a guilty verdict. Uh, and, and they were uh, kind of surprised that the judge didn't give the maximum amount of time. Um, but, y- you know, again, I think you've got some officers, and this is one of the that really has to change in the culture of policing, is that you just got some officers who just feel that Chauvin just got the raw end of a deal. And mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, you know, uh, George Floyd should have just got in the car. George Floyd shouldn't have had a uh, a counterfeit twenty. George Floyd shouldn't have did this, and George Floyd shouldn't have done that. And why is everybody making him to be some celebrity? Why, you know, why are there, you know, uh, paintings of George Floyd everywhere? Why is there even a George Floyd, uh, you know, legislation be? Why is his name even attached to it? You just got police officers who in their minds that anything that George that's associated with George Floyd, George Floyd brought whatever happened to him, he brought it upon himself. And that's not the case. And and that is what I'm concerned about when you have individuals who think like that, they are not personally going to change how their treatment of black people because this is the way they feel and they have a bias and until they cross the line and do something as what Chauvin did, um, they're just going to continue with their uh with 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 how they perceive things and, and you know, last week on our show Chief Humphrey made a, a comment that, you know, guys we gotta realize these People that are in uniform, they're humans, and they make mistakes. But I, you know, my thing of it is this is a profession where, you know, we talked about this, L.A. This is a profession where mistakes just don't happen uh, uh, because it's just like you going into surgery. If the anesthesia uh, doesn't get get it right, you're not going to wake up from that surgery and he can say oh well i made a mistake Uh, no you're man you're an expert so i put officers on that level as being an expert in public safety and you know what you're supposed to do when it comes to how you're supposed to treat uh people that you serve and protect if you're just joining us we're talking with chief virgil green co-host of the you and the law Law Enforcement Broadcast here on the Bastion News Radio Network. It airs every Tuesday evening, 7 p.m. Eastern, Chief Virgil Green and Chief Keith Humphrey, uh, two uh, African-American law enforcement uh, chiefs of police that give it to you straight, uh, no chasers. It's just keeping keeping it real and calling out the bad when they need to call out the bad and call out the good as well. Uh, which is a big part of the broadcast as well. Chief, let's focus in on the last half of this um, on the civilian side. 
And mm-hmm. you asked the same you you asked the same question. I asked the same question to you is when you look at the sentencing, the years that Chauvin received from the judge and the, the, the jury, is this a good thing or a bad thing in terms of race relations, in terms of uh, police uh, and communities coming together, black and brown communities coming together, or is this this number, this 22 and a half, going to further push the sides apart? You know, Elliot, and I'm going to say, I, th- I, be- I believe that, I don't think it's going to push us further apart. Uh, I think you got individuals who believe and and rightfully so that he should have gotten the maximum as to what the prosecutors uh, were seeking. Um, and, and it doesn't minimize the fact that the prosecution team put on a very good uh, case and you had a, a jury who was very educated and they they followed the evidence of what took place uh, in in the murder of, of George Floyd. Um, but I think what is going to, and I, and I think what I'm looking for, uh, L.A., and looking forward to is to see how the other three officers are going to be, uh, how their trials are going to happen. Even though, you know, Chauvin was the, the one who murdered George Floyd, how their cases will unfold and ultimately when the state cases are over with and you get into the federal trials, how, uh, how will, uh, because he's still facing federal charges. And so just because he, he, he got to 22 and a half years in state court, that doesn't let him off the hook for what he may receive in, in, in federal in a, in a federal trial. So, you know, I think that's something that really hasn't been talked about a lot in LA is the fact that he's still facing charges in, in federal uh, court. I mean, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that, you know, that, that will be added on. Um, and, you know, that I, I just the, couldn't see why I, I, yeah, I can't see why it wouldn't be LA because I think when you look at the, the the federal guidelines and and the civil rights violations, uh, you know, yeah, he got 22 and a half years in state, uh, but you know, let's say he gets, you know, on 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 federal charges, he gets he gets uh, an additional 20 years uh, on on federal charges, and in you know, fed time, you you're doing day for day, you know, right. so uh, you know, there there's there's a possibility that. Yeah, he does his 22 and a half years. He may end up getting some good behavior or whatever, and, and he gets out in, say, 15, and that 15 rolls over to another 20 years. So, you know, ultimately you're looking at he he could end up getting, you know, well over 30 years plus uh, between the state and the, and the federal charges. Well, I mean, like I said, I'm I'm hoping that that would be the case and that would be true, not only true justice, in my opinion, it's only my opinion, but also um, the system really working. And I think that's one of the things that civilians in the communities, uh, Chief, as you know, are concerned about. 
that the system works, that he has to be, if, if there is a martyr for good, he needs to be a martyr for bad. He needs to be the face of, okay, bad, bad apples in law enforcement beware because you can get the Chauvin treatment. You know, that, that's really what it needs to, to happen. So what, what do you see? And, and I would think, too, Chief, it would be on an agency-by-agency basis. It's, it's probably demographics. It's probably a lot of different things. But what do you see in communities of color in terms of how law enforcement, or I should backtrack, how law enforcement and communities of color will police? Are we seeing what Mr. Biden is trying to put forth? Uh, with more police, I'm kind of leery of that and not more, um, you know, uh, programs uh, and, and less less police dealing uh, with mental illness, more so social workers. But, I mean, that's a whole different conversation for another day we can have. But what do you see law, local law, law enforcement and these agencies doing different, if anything, in community policing or anything? moving forward after this sentence was handed down? You know, I think this is, you know, definitely going to put more accountability and, and a spotlight on uh, how police chiefs handle uh, officers who have a, uh, a chronic history of, of disciplinary complaints against them. Uh, you know, the, the chief in and uh, Minnesota uh, is still taking some some heat because, you know, he was aware of Chauvin's previous uh, complaints. Even though he had been a, he had only been a police chief for two years, uh, he knew who Derek Chauvin was. Uh, and so I think it's going to be one of the the things that I you know look at in L.A. is the how uh, administrators are going to uh, hold themselves accountable and hold their supervisors and their officers accountable and do the right thing when you have an officer who clearly should not be in a uniform and not say, well, you know, um, uh, because of this agreement we can't do this or, or whatever, I think let that process happen. If you have to go through an, an, an arbitrary or arbitration, uh, let that let that course happen. But at least do everything you can to get rid of a uh, a bad officer or officers, uh, because as you see now, the public is demanding change within policing, and. You know, we've you know we've all said this. You know, this defund is not the right way to go when dealing with uh, police officers because crime is going up, uh, and officers. Uh, we need more officers to to protect our communities, but we don't need more officers to uh, to to go back in and and have this racist pattern and and. And, and violate people's civil rights when you put more police officers in the community. So, L.A., I think, you know, one of the main things is the fact that agencies, no matter what size you are, uh, 
it, this is going to come upon police chiefs to be held accountable um, and 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 get rid of those bad officers that they have within those agencies. And I want to point out that um, it's something that your colleague and co-host, Chief Humphrey, said. There, bad apples come in all races. I I, I wanted yeah. to make oh, yeah. that point because growing up in the hood, like I did, we had more black police coming in harassing us than than others. And so, um, but I, I do want to make sure that we emphasize that. You know, the brothers ain't taking pictures and putting their knees on people deliberately. I mean, uh, uh, in, a, in a manner that they want to get caught on tape because we know any bad that comes in any of our careers, we're going to get treated 10 times worse than other other um, ethnic groups, other races. Um, Chief, before you go, you know thank what? you for you. Go ahead. You know, one th- I, I just want to make this point, L.A., and I think, you know, I, when it comes to how white officers look at things and how black officers look at things, I think, you know, in just being real and realistic about it, you've got uh, a segment of white police officers who are saying Derek Chauvin should not have been convicted. Right. And when you so have, let's keep it real. Yeah. So when you have – White officers who are saying that that is that is a a big concern because how they're going to treat other other uh, black people in the communities that they serve and so you know and but it but one of the things that that really needs to change L A uh, black police officers this is a time for black police officers to hold white police officers accountable not after the fact but during the fact and when right. we start seeing black police officers it, walk up to a white officer and say hey listen hey listen man we, that's not the way we operate you're not going to treat this person this way that is holding officers accountable but we have to see that LA from black police officers to to their to their uh to their white officers. Uh in the, in the same way. White officers do the same same thing to black police officers because as we stated before, we've got some who are don't always do the right thing uh that's that's in the uniform as being black officers. Yeah, we're running out of time, but I want to make sure you uh, talk about your show um, briefly and, and what it's about and when people can listen once again, sir. Well, well, you know, our show comes on every Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on this on this great uh, network, on the Bachelor News Radio Network, with me and my co-host, Chief Humphrey. Uh, we uh, a law enforcement podcast show that's geared toward uh, talking with our listeners about uh what's going on in the policing uh, uh, industry. So we just keep it real. So hopefully everybody will tune in and listen to us, L.A. And you and the Law One is the Facebook page to check out uh, postings. You can ask questions, make comments. And folks, you actually can tell, listen, you can, so you can say to Chief Green, listen, um, what if you talk about this? So you can make um, your topic requests there 
as oh, yeah. well. But, but Chief, listen, I uh, appreciate you, man. As I always tell you and Chief Humphrey, keep your head up, your head down at the same time. Y'all be blessed. Be careful. We will talk with you tomorrow at the time of this broadcast on the air, sir. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you, L.A. All right, Chief. Chief uh, Virgil Green, co-host of Unilaw, the Unilaw broadcast. His uh, co-host couldn't be here, uh, Chief uh, Keith Humphrey. Uh, show airs every day, every Tuesday, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, you can listen at 646-929-0130 and check out the rebroadcast on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Take a quick break. Come back. Talk about some other stuff. Um, you're in a relationship. It's a sexual relationship. You want to make it long term? How is that going to work out? We'll talk to an expert in just a bit. Stay tuned. Suffer from chronic CFED or can't focus energy drain? Try over-the-counter Vibrant. One tablet contains the same caffeine as a cup of coffee, but without the calories or coffee breath. Vibrant. Caffeine, not coffee. Taking Vibrant may result in increased productivity and decreased dread in setting alarms. Unexpected enjoyment of the graveyard shift has been associated with Vibrant. Vibrant may be a better budget option than drinking coffee. It may also decrease the urge to doze off, skip work, or exhibit signs of slacking. All jokes aside, always read the label, take only as directed, and limit caffeine as it may cause real side effects. Not for children under age 12.
the Bastion News Radio Show on the Bastion News Radio Network, WCOM in Carborough, Chapel Hill, North Carolina, IBM TV, Big Mind Entertainment. I'm L.A. Bachelor. We thank you for joining us. Wherever you are listening, uh, we appreciate you uh, chiming in. You did not have to do so, uh, but you did. To reach us, the number is 646-929-0130. Press 1 to get on the line. The chat room is open if you're listening on blogtalkradio.com. And, of course, you can send your messages or your questions, comments, concerns for our guests uh, to uh, Facebook at L.A. Bachelor or Pad Nation uh, on Facebook. I want to go to my guest. Uh, she's a licensed mental therapist in Oklahoma. Uh, always good to have her part of that great young minds of, of, of ladies to come on this broadcast. Uh, she is Tanisha Hooks, and, and Tanisha, it's a pleasure having you back on, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you for having me back on. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I wanted you to come on to talk about, this, you know, when you were on with Keisha uh, Vic and, and Yanni Knox, you, we were talking about black love and black relationships and, and getting to uh, different um, scenarios and, and how to make it work, how to make it last. Right, and looking for signs and things of that nature. Um, but I wanted to touch on a different uh, area, if you will, to start to build from where one place to a, a relationship or even marriage in some cases. And that's when you're in a, a relationship that may be monogamous, but it's, it's purely sexual. It's a sexual relationship. Um, you know, many people talk about how, you know, they they want real and long-lasting and all those things, but some folks fall into that category of, you know, I'm secure in my life, I have what I have, my kids are growing in some cases, and, and all I want is the physical part of things, but if, 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 if someone's in that stage of their life, they become uh, mentally and emotionally connected with that person. How do you go from the physical to build to something more serious, more long-lasting? So, so in a situation like that, well, and here's the thing: it's going to be difficult. It's going to be difficult um, because once you once you start with a certain mind frame, like, hey, this person is just my cut buddy. We cut, you know, we cool, but we just cut, you know what I'm saying? And we enjoy having sex with each other, and, and that's what it is. But if you truly want to make that transition, I'm not going to say it can't happen because it's, it's no different than I saw, know plenty of people who had one-night stands and they went on to marry those one-night stands and they're still with them 15, 16 years later. But what it requires you to do is going to require you guys to have to step back from the from the sex a little bit and have to focus on more uh, pertinent things like what do you like, um, what don't you like to do. Actually start courting, start dating, you know, and, and that's going to be – so I won't say that it, it can't happen, but it would, it's going to require a certain level of dedication to say, you know what, we're going to move this monogamy to – a higher level to where we're going to we're going to date each other, we're going to court each other, we're going to learn each other past what we know physically. Um, I got an echo just so you know and if you uh, uh, speak a little louder a couple of people said. So it, it, 
it's got to be difficult though, because in in some cases when you, you you ladies were on before, you were talking about okay, being friends that's very important and, and understanding each other. Uh, but in Okay, can you, is that better for you? Um, yeah, that is better. Okay. Um, in some cases, there's not a friendship. There's just some physical connection. So how do you go – I mean, is there, what, what's the step from the physical? Can you be friends? Are you friends even when you're physical? I mean, the confusion from from that point to saying, yes, I want to – I really want to explore this this relationship take it to like you said the next level in terms of being serious and and long term and not just the physical how do you become friends when it was just sex and 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 what does that even look like i mean it looks like having a serious conversation here's the thing it looks like having a conversation with each other and saying hey are you feeling the same way like i feel like i want more out of this you know, I want more from this with you than just the physical. You know, that's first what it looks like is having a conversation. Because to be frankly honest, here's the truth: if you started, if you start a relationship out just on purely sex, and that maybe you caught feelings, but the other person didn't catch feelings, first you you can't do anything unless you first get some clarity of like, hey, does this other person feel the same way I feel and want to go past? the physical realm. And so if that person does want to go past the physical realm, then it looks like, you know, here's the thing. Once you're an adult and you're having sex, you should know how to distinctly separate uh, different facets of your life, right? So it shouldn't be that you come in contact with this person and it always has to be sex. If you don't have sex it's highly likely that you develop some form of another type of relationship, um, whether that's just being cordial, whether that's just knowing the gist about each other. So there's something more there if it's just if it's continuous sex, you know. And I'm talking about continuous sex, like you've pretty much monogamous, you've been monogamous, and you guys have been sleeping together for months, weeks, you know what I mean? Maybe even years, you know. Um, I, I mean, years may be a bit different. So I think it looks like first having a candid discussion, saying, hey are you interested in wanting to take this to the next level? And if that person is interested in taking it to the next level, then guess what? We got to stop meet. We got to start meeting outside of the business. You know, we, we got to start going on dates. We got to start talking about things other than sex. You know, Tanisha, we, we talk with Tanisha Hooks, of course, a licensed therapist here on the, on the Bastard News radio show. Uh, it, it's got to be pretty difficult though. It's almost like if you're, you know, if you're having sex every day with that person and then you decide you want to go outside the bedroom and actually go out to the movies or dinner, it's almost like if someone's smoking or drinking every day and then they just want to kind of go cold turkey or modify it somewhat. It's got to be extremely difficult. So talk about that. And what do you do if, you know, your one is feeling like, man, I, I'm really feeling some, I have some feelings for this person and I wanted to take it the next step, but the other one is not ready. What what happens then? I mean, if it, if that's what happens, then guess what? I mean, here's the thing. Once again, that goes back to when we were on, when I was on the show last time and I talked about being clear on your expectations. Right? Being clear on your expectations when you get with somebody. So if you get with somebody knowing that, hey, 
we're linking up purely physical. And you catch feelings, I hate to say it, but the re- and that person doesn't reciprocate, I hate to say it, but you're just going to have to chalk that loss up. You know, you can't force it. You can't modify it. But I would recommend that that person needs to step back from having sex, the person that has the feelings, because that's only going to make their feelings grow stronger. Specifically, you know, a lot of times with women, we, we tend to uh, attach more emotionally to sex. Now, that's changed quite a bit through the years, and you know, but for the most part, you know, that, that is a big thing. A lot of times that women will attach emotions to sex. So if, you, if that person doesn't want to take the next step with you, then you need to step back from that, that relationship, you know, and really evaluate if you can continue to do, have sex with this person and your feelings not continue to grow. And then if your answer is no and you know that that person doesn't want to reciprocate, then you have to then decide what's going to be best for you. What do you do, though, to the the first part of the question is when, you know, how does that, if you're going from, you know, having sex, um, you know, religiously with that person to, well, let's cut it back and let's actually go out on the date and do something. And talk about the sort of the dynamics that goes into how difficult or maybe not so difficult, uh, maybe a case-by-case basis to do that. I mean, I think it's going to be a case-by-case basis in the respect is this. It's not saying you're not, like, it's not going to say you're not going to interest your night with sex, but it's also like, hey, you know what, every time we see each other, we're having sex. Mm, you know what, let's see each other maybe two hours earlier and eat, grab something to eat, right? Both people got to eat, right? It, it doesn't have to be like rocket science. It doesn't have to be that you can elaborate date. It can just be like, hey, you know what? You know, let's go grab a bite to eat. You know what I'm saying? You may come back home and go pound town. You know, you still may be having sex. The, the idea that you're probably going to stop having sex, is if, you, if you've religiously been having it, that's going to be slim to none. So ideally, though, you just you, you put things in place that is outside of sex as well. If you, want to get, if you both want to get to know each other, right? You both got to eat, right? You both have a separate day going on um, outside of each other, so you, you talk about those things. Hey, you know, how's your day? Just thought I'd hit you up. How's your day going? Hey, you know what? You want to go to lunch? I'm free. Are you free today? That's what it looks like. It's, it's still going to look no different. Believe it or not, it's still not going to look any different from when you initially start wanting to date someone. It's not saying because you're probably not going to stop having sex. You're just going to add another layer to it that's going to increase the intimacy. You know, one of the, the things that someone asked me uh, earlier when I they knew we were going to talk about this with you was the fact that you meet someone and your intent is to be friends and to go into that every, you know, by all accounts, both both parties are saying, you know, let's let's start off with friends and and go from there and. Boom, wham, thank you, ma'am. You wind up having sex and you're enjoying it. And then it turns out to be a sexual relationship. So easier for the transition to go to a real relationship, full-fledged relationship, because you both really want it to be friends and then go from there, or does it make it more messy or complex? Well, you have to define what type of friends you said you were going to be, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to be friends, like you're just going to be friends, and something gross and great, or is it 
you started out that we were just going to be friends with benefits, you know, but, but both of them can move toward, you know, I, I, I believe that it, it, it takes the two people. It's uniquely different to each person. Right. So I believe if it wants, if you want to, to move that forward and move that to something higher, you to do that on either, it's going to be difficult on either terrain potentially because you run that risk is like, okay, if I'm friends with them and it was started that platonic when we got together, I could lose a friendship if this relationship went out. And then if you're just having sex with that person and you say, we're just going to be friends, we're going to have sex, we'll see where this goes. And then if you try to make it go further past the sex and then you got them have a really good sexual chemistry relationship and you try to add an additional layer, it could potentially still make it go south and then you lose a potentially good sex partner if that's what you you know, if you're that's what you're looking for. You know, it it, it both of them equally both of them equally can go fifty fifty. It's dependent upon the person. It's depending on the two people in the situation. You know, it's like I said, is that I, it's no different. I know people that started out with one-night stands, um, started out kind of hanging out, had one-night stands, kind of slept with each other, you know, consistently after that, and they're married now, and they're celebrating 10, 15 years together. It's really dependent upon the person. And, you know, sometimes you have sex with someone and you say, you know what, I think I can see something more with you outside of these physical parameters. And they feel the same way. And the sex doesn't impede them getting to know each other outside of those parameters. It's just a bonus at the end of those parameters. Yeah, and, you know, I, I'm going to come back to you, Tanisha, and uh, uh, take this, this break. But I, I want to ask you about the trust factor because there are a lot of situations like that that uh, people um, have uh, expressed that, you know, some people get into these sexual relationships because it, there's a lack of trust being in a relationship. And I want to get your thoughts on that in just a bit. This is the Bachelor News Radio Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network, IBM TV, uh, WCOM, Big Mind Entertainment, and the Bachelor News Radio Network. You made my soul a burning You're getting to be my one desire. You're getting to be all that matters.
News Radio Show on the Vast News Radio Network, IBM TV, WCOM, and Big Mind Entertainment. Uh, back to our conversation with Tanisha Hooks, licensed mental therapist here uh, on the show, uh, talking about, um, you know, can sexual relationships lead to long-term, even marriage in some cases. Tanisha, I was talking, to, I was uh, mentioning trust. Some people don't mm-hmm. want to get into real, I call them relationships, but keep it on the physical because their lack of trust, whether it's some past experiences or whatever the case may be. How much does that play into it? And then the second part of that is if you do, if they both decide to get into a real relationship, how much of that lack of trust, that trust issue play into the relationship in, in terms of being being detrimental? So I think that a lot of people, well, I won't say a lot of people, I think that some people do get into relationships um, purely sexual because they feel like, you know, this is better than getting in another type of monogamous relationship and potentially being cheated on. It lowers the expectations, you know, so that, you know, I don't have to worry about this or worry about that. Um, but I think that, you know, 
that's a very tricky area because um, once again, you know, I think that, you know, before you enter into a relationship, period, you really need to make sure that you've examined yourself and that you're securing yourself and you've kind of dealt with some of those past demons and things like that. Um, so long term, from what you were saying, is like if you were to get into a relationship with someone that you started out purely sexual with, here's the thing. The trust is going to be different if you guys were having sex with each other but you were open to have sex with other people versus if you were having sex with each other and it was just you, you, you knew that that person was not having sex with anyone else but you. So I think that, you know, we have to look at it from those two perspectives because in some instances that's what the sex is like. It's like we're having sex, but we're free to have sex with other people. And then it's we're having sex, we don't have a title, but only me and you are having sex with each other. And so I think that that form of trust, if they, if a person realizes it was just you that they were having sex with, I think that your trust can perfectly be, be perfectly fine if you enter into a committed relationship because in some respects... Required listening with Amazon Music. Dad music again. The greatest guitarist of all time. Wait, who? Alexa, add this song to a new playlist. Sure, what's the new playlist name? Jack's intro to classic rock. Adding Stepping Stone by Jimi Hendrix to Jack's intro to classic rock playlist. Amazon Music, the simplest way to listen to the music you and soon he will love. New customers start your 30-day free trial at AmazonMusic.com. Renews automatically. Cancel anytime. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back to the show. We thank you for joining us. We'll go back to the phones, bring in my guest. Always good to have him on. Um, of course, he is the host of Touring, the AFC South, the Natural Voice, and other media outlets. It's always good to have the general in, Mike Patton. Mike, appreciate you, man, coming on. Yeah, no problem. No problem at all. How you doing, man? Good, man. I hope all is well. I hope your, your trip was well and and everybody's safe. And um Appreciate your patience as as always. Sure. Um, I want to get into these these uh, NBA conference finals. Uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about uh, who you picked um, East and West, but now we're in it at the time of this broadcast. Uh, you look at the game at the time of this broadcast tonight, where the Clips are down. Three games to one. So much significance. So so many people rooting for different people and and different things and and and, and you know some people want to see, see if Ty Lue can win without LeBron down three one. People want to see Chris Paul get there for the first time. People want to see Phoenix get back to the finals for the first time in so so long. Let alone they already made the playoffs for the first time. In a, in a, a bunch of time, um, so what say you in this game tonight? You know the Clips have been down. Paul George has been pretty good for the most part. He had some struggles at the free throw line, three point line, uh, most recently. But what say you about this game tonight? Who do you think will win? And what's the 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 storyline out of that? Well, actually, um, you know. As many people are, are suggesting, the Phoenix Suns will finish this game off. Uh, the Clippers don't have it anymore. They run out of gas, things like that. 
But one thing that, that many people are overlooking is that Ty Lue is a man of many adjustments. And I'm pretty sure he'll make an adjustment going to this game and at least get them one more win. So I've got the Los Angeles Clippers winning this game in Phoenix by, mm, I give them five to five to ten points. And I'll say the storyline of this game will be the adjustments that Ty Lue makes uh, to, to get them across the finish line with a W. Well, it, it'll be, I, like I said, I'm I'm one of those guys that's rooting for Chris Paul, uh, being a, a covering him in Wake Forest and, you know, and being an all-around good guy from all accounts. Uh, it'd be nice to see him get there and then see what happens. Um, it, did we already knew Kawhi was not coming back or did things get worse for him in terms of his injury? Obviously, he's a scra- he's been a scratch since what game 5 of the previous series or so. So what do I mean, what what do we see in this injury and is it going to linger in the off season? I mean, honestly, um I don't know if it'll linger in the off season, but when he got injured and then was talked about he was injured, I already knew right then and there he's probably going to be out for some games. Now, did I know he was going to be out this long? No. But, um, you know, you already know with Kawhi. Kawhi is injured in any way. Um, nine times out of ten, he's not going to play. I can't give him credit, though. He did play through a foot injury a lot this year. But, you know, a knee and a foot, uh, yeah, he definitely's going to sit down. And I didn't know it was this serious, but, you know, there's rumors out there that it's a torn ACL or some kind of – a minor tear of a, of a ligament in his knee, but you know we'll never know probably until the off season when it's announced that he has surgery or anything of that nature. But yeah, I definitely didn't expect him to sit out this many games, but I did think he was going to be out some games though. Yeah, and it's you know people talking about how he could damage his legacy and all whatever in terms of struggles for the Clips last year, but you know injuries are injuries this year, and it it, it is what it is. Um, so. Uh, we'll see well, can, what happens. I can, with... I can speak to why why they they think he could damage his uh, legacy. The reason why they think they could, he could damage his legacy is because of how things ended with the um, the Spurs and the disagreements with the medical staff there, and now the same things are resurfacing as rumors with the Los Angeles Clippers. So that's where I think he could potentially be kind of going down that road, and that. Trump could uh, be thinking that he's damaging his career or he's not necessarily the best teammate or because he's not sitting with his teammates or anything of that nature, you know, that has come up. Yeah, I, I just – he's still a, a younger guy to, to, to be labeling him that, uh, on that level is my, my opinion. But, no, I get it, but we'll we'll see. What happens? Win or lose, Clippers win or lose. We'll see what happens in the off season with him uh, moving forward. Talking with Mike Patton here on the Bastion News Radio Show, WCOM, Chapel Hill, North Carolina, IBM TV, uh, and of course Big My Entertainment. Uh, Mike, when you look at the the other series in the Western, I mean in the um, in the Eastern Conference, Milwaukee and Atlanta, Milwaukee looked a little. Starstruck in that first game, or, or more so maybe Atlanta is still riding that adrenaline, but Atlanta either has come down to earth or Milwaukee has figured some things out. What do you see in terms of that? Has it been Milwaukee figures and things out? Of course, Middleton went off in game four in his last game. Uh, but, you know, you look at it, and 
it, it doesn't bode well when, uh, you know, Trey Young hurts his, his, his ankle that uh, going into this next game for them trying to tie it, to at least go back tie going back to Milwaukee, that they need to get this done. But what say you on this series? Honestly, um, you know, it told me a lot. When you watch the game, the Atlanta Hawks came out and they're blitzing them to start the game. And then you look at their halftime and it's tied 56-56. I knew right then and there that the Atlanta Hawks would not win the game. Uh, but, you know, it kind of compounds matters worse when Trey Young is hurt and, you know, questionable going to the next game with a bone bruise on his ankle. So, you know, the guy that starts to drink, starts to drink, as they say, uh, is hurt. That, that definitely is going to uh, stop the flow of the offense. So, you know, to me, I, I think the, the Bucks are, are definitely set up to go to the, the NBA Finals. But the thing is, are we going to get a consistent um, – a consistent Chris Middleton, or are we going to get a consistent um, Drew Holiday? Because I mean, he was missing in Game Three, so that's the question. You know, if that happens and one of those guys goes completely missing, or both of those guys go completely missing, like they did a lot during the Nets series, then the Hawks could definitely muster up enough to make things happen. And also, it's on Nate McMillan to make some adjustments. Honestly, he's put Bogdanovich uh, out, Bogdanovich out there. He's playing on a messed up knee, and he's not able to move. He's not getting shots. Honestly, you may have to shake it up, put Lou in the starting lineup with Trey, Trey Young, or, you know, bring Lou in, uh, Lou Williams a little bit earlier into the game, something. He's got to shake up something because Bogdanovich uh, is not giving them enough to win this series. Yeah, and I mean, it's, you, you look at it um... – I think this Atlanta team is a year, maybe even two, Mike, ahead of the schedule. So this is a they playing with house money anyway. You know, they, they lose they the are. series. You know, they they they, 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 they this is a learning lesson for him. He can get healthy. They they add to this team. You know, the sky's the limit for them uh, if they can I'm, get it done. Go ahead. I honestly think that, um, you know, they're doing great this year, and they've reached further than anybody th- thought they would reach. But I think next year they're gonna—they're not gonna be as go as far as they are now. They may end up being a better team, but not go as far as they are now. If that, if that makes any sense. Yeah, that makes a lot. Isn't it something when you see a team, you know, maybe the Knicks, but there probably better <laughs> examples out there where these franchises go further, and then you go, "Wow, you didn't expect that," and then they take a step back because they. Arrived a little sooner than we expected. I could see, I could see that scenario uh, with the Hawks. Um, talking with Mike Patton here, uh, of course, of touring the AFC South, the National Voice, SportsAwakening dot com, other media outlets here on the Bastion News Radio Show. And you know, Mike, when you look at it, um, some of the coaches moving, it, it's really interesting. You've seen. Rick Carlisle, who I mentioned to Nick Anastas, saying, you know, I'm not sure if he's stepping down or being forced out. Nick was like, well, maybe he wants some time off. And then, of course, now he goes back to the Pacers where he coached before. Uh, So you see him go there. You see Jason Kidd, who played in Dallas and won a title there, goes back. He's supposed to be bringing in all these people, Barrera and all these other guys. And then Chauncey Billups going to the Trailblazers. So what do you think of these three moves, number one? Number two, 
um, what coach is in the best position to make a immediate impact in those franchises? Um, honestly, uh, you know, one thing I would say, I will say about the Jason Kidd move, though, is he was actually recommended from Rick Carlisle. So I wouldn't say he was forced out or anything of that nature. I believe that him and, and Cuban are still on good terms. It's just he just felt it was time. So, you know, I would say they're, they're still on good terms. It's just because, you know, he wouldn't have t- taken his suggestion of Jason Kidd if he wasn't. Um, as far as the best setup for those, I would say that um, the person that's in the best setup has got to be Rick Carlisle, actually. Uh, I'll explain why. He's got talent on that team. He's got Sabonis. He's got Levert as, as a guard that's continuing to get better. He's got Miles Turner, the leading shot blocker in the NBA this year. He's got um, he's got um, a TJ Warren coming back this year off of a foot injury. He's got a lot of different pieces. And he's got Malcolm Brogdon at the point guard spot. With a little guidance, that team could be a top five, top four or five team in the East next year. So. He actually is in a good position, and there's not a lot of pressure on him to actually win games right off top. He can actually grow this team and get them better. And a lot of them are locked into to, uh, contracts, and minus a bonus. So, basically, he's, he's in the best spot to continue to grow that team and make that team into one that was he was a part of when, you know, Ron Artest and Steven Jackson and those guys were all there at that time. So, he uh, he definitely is in the best position to me. I think Chauncey's in the most pressure-packed situation because, you know, with the situation of Dame wanting to be uh, or not happy with the coaching hire potentially, wanting to request a trade or potentially wanting to request a trade, which that hasn't been confirmed yet, but, you know, it's being rumored. And then the expectations of Portland not necessarily wanting to rebuild but wanting to get to the upper echelon of the Western Conference. So he's definitely under a lot of pressure. In Portland, I would I would imagine so. Uh, and Mike, what do you think of the um, this this whole notion of um, you know the the pressure of hiring a woman's coach? I know the, the assistant coach in in San Antonio, you know, was uh, it's been considered for a lot of positions, and a lot of people are saying maybe she didn't get anything because pops. You know, was, you know, she's waiting for Pop to retire and she'll get it. But it it seems as though it's it's, it's a different type of pressure and a different kind of criticism. But it's more things um, change and more things stay the same in terms of this may not, this may be a sexist type of thing, but we're seeing this on racial terms too. Well, honestly, um, taking a look at this one, you know, I think the NBA kind of did, and I've seen a couple people say this, and I really kind of looked at it a little bit more, and I was like, well, okay, I can agree with that. The NBA did something by, uh, that nobody's talking about. They actually covered themselves by announcing that she was a finalist for the job. And let me explain what, the, what, that, what that goes into. Basically, they said she was up for the job. Uh, they probably had a good inkling, or the Portland Trailblazers gave a, probably a good inkling that she probably would not get the job. So, you know, when she did get the job, they could be like, oh, we definitely tried to make this happen, make that happen, and it didn't happen. Um, do I think she's good enough to have a head coach job? Yes. Do I think she has experience? Yes. Do I think she has assistant coaching experience? Yes. 
Um, to me, I, I, honestly, you know, I thought she would have been a great fit for Portland, to be honest. Um, I mean, but the, the thing I think that I look at is since she has developed so many players at, in San Antonio, I mean, look at the roster of young players that they've developed. Becky Hammond had a lot to do with that. So I think that she ends up replacing Pop, actually, when he decides to step down. So, you know, that, that may have been probably the better situation for her is to be there to replace Pop and to uh, be the head coach in San Antonio. I, I definitely think that fits her style. Well, I think, I think you know, with her uh, track record of, of developing players, I think that fits with San Antonio and what their system is about as well. Why why was the Portland job a good job for her in tr- in your opinion? Um, looking at the younger guys they have uh, off the bench, you know, you got Nasir. Uh, uh, I think it's Nasir Little, I believe, is from North Carolina. He's still on that bench. Um, you still have a lot of younger players that are there that can develop, and if those players can develop, then that makes that team deeper and even better. Along with uh, you know a little bit of her ingenuity uh, with. Uh, you know, Dame and uh, and T.J. McCollum as well. So I think the addition of her would have helped those younger players kind of get to their level and kind of make them an even tougher team than what they currently were. I, I just say it's, it's interesting, though. It's, you know, Chauncey Billups wouldn't have gotten a job, and he's been – he hadn't been waiting forever, and we know, but, you know, no, we don't know. No, no. Yeah, but but I mean again, if you look at, I'm not I'm not taking anything away from her at all, um, or any woman candidate. What I'm saying is that you know you've had some 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 coaches out there, some black coaches out there that have been waiting for some quiet time, and then you can look at her Carol Lawson. Her name is hasn't come up a lot too, and so, and you know she's got some. Some some ex, some some experience, and certainly she has played, you know, at the highest levels of WNBA. So I mm-hmm. mean, the only difference is that, um, you know, you have a, a assistant coach that has been an assistant coach in the NBA. I really think, though, at the end of the day, Mike, it really comes down to NBA teams are not ready; they're not comfortable to allow um, women to lead their teams. I, that, that's really what it is. They're not ready to let a woman to lead their NBA team. Let them lead the WNBA, but they're not ready to let them lead on that side. Your thoughts? You know, initially, uh, you know, there there is some, there is some, I will say that there's not any, any, there's definitely, you know, some some truth to what you're saying. I don't I wouldn't say it was all the way there, but you know, there's no. I wouldn't say completely. Some, uh, oh yeah, yeah. I, know. I know definitely, definitely. But you you can also say the same for uh, for uh, some black coaches in the in the NBA as well. Because I'm actually working on something now, <laughs> to be honest. That's uh, talking about uh, the difference in a few things that people don't even notice that media plant in our head or teams planting our head and nobody hmm. notices it. it's a slight change of words explaining something and it definitely can be more disparaging for one than the other you also got uh, to is this, 
Well, it's it's just amazing that you know, the, not it, it, we shouldn't be surprised, but it is in 2021 that these things still go on. Mike, before you go, I know you've been doing a lot of things, a lot great interviews on touring the AFC South. Talk about that, um, your upcoming shows, and, and some of the stuff that you have in terms of your articles posted, sir. Thank you. All right. Well, I'm working on an article for uh, the three-point conversion for a uh, talking about the difference between different backs in the NFL and which ones are better for your team. Um, let's see. Working on an article. Uh, let's see as well for you know just talking the differences between black and white coaches uh, in the mm. NBA. I'll, and then also I'm talking. I'm working on a. Let's see. I should have a show this this week, and I will be interviewing none other than Hall of Famer. Uh, uh, Hall of Fame, NFL Hall of Famer Warren Moon this week. Oh my goodness! And so you have what time? And make sure you give out the uh, your show time, sir, so I can tune in. If nothing else, <laughs> everybody else <laughs> can tune in to hear the great Warren Moon. Yeah, I'm going to ask him about, uh, of course, his time in uh, Canada and a couple things, and then also. You know, we're going to get into a little bit of AFC South quarterbacks. And then also, I don't know if you caught it, but he had a tweet about uh, the uh, Titans wearing the throwback uniforms and definitely got to talk about his, his times uh, with the Oilers and, you know, what his thoughts on his how his offense can do in the current NFL. Well, we look forward to that, man. And like I said, keep doing what you're doing. I know you stay busy. We appreciate your time. We'll get you on next week. Thank you. Yes, sir. Mike Patton touring the AFC South's natural voice and uh, other media outlets, including sportsawakening.com. If you miss any part of this broadcast, make sure that you check out our website, thebastionnewsradionetwork.com, or follow us on Facebook at Pad Nation, on Twitter, Pad Nation 2, and of course, um, all the other places you could check out the rebroadcast of our site, TuneIn.com as well. Enjoy the rest. We'll talk with you very soon on the Bastion News Radio Show on the Bastion News Radio Network, WCOM, IBM TV, and of course, Big Mind Entertainment.
welcome to Emerging Ease, where we will focus on unraveling the difficulties in the midst of our journey and move toward forward progress. This program is not meant to replace any form of therapy, and you are encouraged to seek out a mental health professional if necessary. Welcome. I'm your host, Keisha, and you're tuned in to the Bachelor News Radio Network. Feel free to call 646-929-0130 or send questions to the chat room at blogtalkradio.com forward slash LA-Bachelor. Come on in and let's talk. Today we will be talking about stress. So first, uh, I want to talk about some signs uh, that you are stressing because sometimes we can go through stress and we don't really realize what's going on or we wait so long that we are completely stressed out, burnt out, tired of everybody, and then we want to do something. So I want to give some signs and things to kind of look at ahead of time to kind of uh, consider what can you do to, to get a heads up on getting too stressed out or burnt out or just over over uh, stimulated. And overstimulation can happen at any point in time in our lives. It can happen in our relationships, our friendships, at work. It can happen just at home, especially during now with um, some of the restraints of COVID being lifted. Many of us don't realize that being stuck at home or working from home or being at home as a brand-new at-home teacher, as some of us were, Include myself at some point, and I, I have thoughts to teach it. Thank y'all ahead of time. Thank y'all because I would never want to do it. Uh, that was not the best situation. Um, but sometimes we get so bogged down in all the things that we we're, we're focused on, like I have to do this, I have to get this done, I have to get this done, and we don't stop to give ourselves time to check in on self. So uh, the first portion is um, like the psychological signs that you are stressed or beginning to stress out. Um, inability to contract, uh, excuse me, concentrate on um, simple decisions or even make simple decisions. Sometimes it, we have to look at, if you're a very decisive person, like, okay, for today I want dinner to be um, chicken and rice and whatever, whatever, but all of a sudden something as, as small as that becomes an issue, and you're just like, I don't know, whatever, it's too much to attempt to even consider, you may be stressed out. You may be even approaching burnout by that point. Um, memory lapses. When we have so much on our plate that we're trying to remember everything, uh, do everything, be everywhere, help everybody, our own uh, mind gets overworked. And when that overworking some things may be reprioritized in our memories, and it's not lost, but it's very difficult to find because you have everything else uh, coming at you, kind of like being bombarded, and you're trying to find something small, but you're being bombarded with all these other things, and you can't focus on that thing that you're trying to pull forward. Another one that is often mistaken for, um, as some of my friends and I say, adult ADD. Um, is easily distracted. 
if I am by a window and something flies by, a butterfly, bird, an airplane, uh, anything, and I'm stressed out, I've noticed within myself that, yes, I will tune in to whatever's going on outside the window. I used to do that in school. I used to do it uh, in college. I do it now as an adult. Even if I'm at home doing something, I'll notice if I'm even, if I'm focused more on the window than what I'm doing, it's because I'm stressed out. I need to do something to kind of um, take some of the pressure off myself. So we'll talk about that here in a little bit after we talk about the signs of uh, how to know your stress. Of course, depression and anxiety can kick in. Um, feeling overwhelmed, unmotivated, unfocused. Uh, one thing I do want to kind of point at is negative thinking. With negative thinking, we as people talk to ourselves all the time. Some of us talk out loud. Uh, some of us, but all of us talk to ourselves in our brain. And our negative thinking, that negative thinking can become such an excessive weight in addition to whatever things you have on your plate from life in and of itself. Be mindful to challenge those negative thoughts you have towards yourself. Some people um, that I've come across through counseling have told themselves some very difficult things that I could never imagine how they got to that point, but they were so overwhelmed in life that they would tell themselves, I'm stupid, I'm, I'm unable to do anything right, nobody likes me, nobody loves me does is it feeds nothing but depression and anxiety, and it creates a vicious cycle of um, continued stress, continued negative emotions, uh, con continued negative interactions. Sometimes the interactions they were even having were not even bad or difficult, but they were made worse by the self-talk that they were having through their thinking. So be mindful of that. Challenge yourself when you start to speak or think back poorly about yourself. You're here for a reason, and that reason is not to tear yourself down. You have enough challenges in life that you don't have to give yourself additional ones with negative thoughts or extra pressure. Um, another sign that you may be stressed out is um, insomnia or you're waking up tired. That's because when we are so stressed out, we're so focused on everything we have to get checked off on the to-do list, we do not allow ourselves enough time because usually you're staying up late trying to finish things or you're waking up early trying to start, get a head start on the next day. And so when you shrink that time of sleep that you really, really, truly need down, your brain has absolutely no time to relax because during those eight hours is usually ideal for many people uh, on average. In that eight hours, your brain is going through, first of all, relaxation, then it's starting to untangle and unwind all the things of today, and sometimes that comes out in our dreams. Other times, it's allowing our body to kind of reconnect with our thinking and get back in focus, back in alignment. When we don't give ourselves enough time or we are stressed out, our brains don't ever get to... Uh, process anything, to store anything that also challenges memory. And so you wake up tired because all you did was you just lay down and you went unconscious. Nothing was processed. Nothing was resolved within. So you are, you maintain stress even through sleep. Some people sleep poorly because they move around a lot when they're stressed out. 
And we'll talk about how to kind of address those things in a little bit. Some emotional signs of being stressed out. One of my favorites is irritability. It's my favorite because I like it. It's a favorite because it's I face it as a person, and it's very easy to see. Also, sometimes with irritability, our family and friends and children see it before we do. And then you start snapping at them, and you're like, well, dang, you know, I'm not irritable, and you're fussing and griping at everybody, but if you actually look at yourself, you really are, especially if that's not something that's common for you or that's not comfortable for you, then that would represent stress, being stressed out. Um, Another emotional sign is defensiveness. No one can tell you anything. No one can help you. Um, Someone says, good morning. What do you mean by that? Someone says, can I help you? I don't need any help. I'm I'm very much capable. Defensiveness could mean being stressed out, but the irony in that is not allowing others to come in and help also promotes being stressed out. When we do not delegate to others, we then take all that weight on ourselves, in addition to increasing negative thinking about if we don't finish this task and whatever time frame we have or that we give ourselves, we end up pulling so much extra weight onto ourselves. As I tell people all the time, if you were meant to do it all, you would be the only one here. Share some of the weight with other people. It is okay. It is okay to even use the four-letter word help. Ask for help. Hey, I need you to help me with this. Whether it's a big task or a small task, that's one less thing that is on you, and it's very, very important to be able to be mindful of that. Um, Another one is uh, lack of confidence or lack of self-esteem. Usually that comes from with poor thinking about yourself, you usually take poor care of yourself, therefore you don't look your best, therefore it reinforces negative thought, it reinforces a continued stress process because the thinking goes, well, if I can just get past this, everything will be better. Well, if you're constantly piling things on top of yourself, will you really get past it? Because it's a never-ending cycle. There's no end. There's no end to the checklist because you're constantly adding things to it. As soon as you check something off, you add two things. So being mindful of that. Some physical signs of stress are um, muscle tension. I encourage everybody to at least go to a massage therapist and have them to do the chair massage for your clothes fully on, and they're doing your shoulders. Because usually women, we carry stress in our shoulders. Many times men carry it across their back and in their lower back, sometimes uh, the upper legs as well. If they start massaging you and you start to draw those little pinpoint knots and tightness, that is stress. Your body is physically holding on to stress because what happens is it's almost like um, if you think about it, maybe going on a roller coaster. When you're going up, your anxiety may go up like, oh, my goodness, this is going really high. This is going really high. When you get to the top of the hill right before it goes down, you tense up. That's very much the same way we tense up when we're dealing with life's events. Sometimes people can come in and you can notice that, oh, my gosh, I'm clenching my shoulders or my legs 
or my back muscles, even my hands and arms are clenched up and locked up because you're anticipating a negative interaction with those people or with that person. Um, it's anxiety provoking and it, and it continues to be something that um, supports um, the stress cycle, the negative stress cycle. Um, palpitations and dizziness. This is when your stress has gotten so bad that it's coming out in physical symptoms. Um, I think I touched on this last week. Well, we have to be mindful that our mind, our body, our spirit are all in unison. If something is not going well in one area, the other areas of our of ourselves will uh, feel that and will exhibit that. Um, we have to always be in a challenge to say, what do I need to be able to either let go of, take off of myself, or what can I ask someone to help me with? And really what that is is a challenge about control. Usually control is the reason that many of us are stressed out. It's not even that everything within family or within work or within self is so huge and uh and out of control is that we want so much control because we feel a safety in the control. So therefore we don't want to let anything go. Now, even with that, when you're saying that, you know, I just, I know I can do it better. The way I do it is the best way. It may be the best way for you, but the point is if the task can be done with the assistance of others, let it be done. There's absolutely no such thing as perfect, which we talked about last week. So if it's done, it's done, and that's the point. Um, before we uh, do break, I want to kind of touch on some behavioral things, one of which is being a workaholic. Being a workaholic is a very difficult uh, position to be in because as the workaholic, you don't understand that you are impacting the people around you not just yourself. It's not for the betterment of my family or for my community or for the job. It's, it's stressing other people as well. And we'll touch on that um, when we come back from break. So we're going to go to break, and I want to thank you for tuning in to Emerging Ease with Keisha on the Bachelor News Radio Network. I'll, I'll hear from you guys in a little bit. This is Chicago-style hot dog here. I'm not feeling too good. Turns out, along with all the other bad things my cholesterol does, they say it's a risk factor for strokes. Strokes? Sheesh! Good news from National Stroke Association. Exercising, eating right, and asking your doctor about medicines that can help lower your cholesterol, like statins, may reduce the risk of a first stroke. And if you've already had a stroke, it's even more important you lower your cholesterol. Lower your chances of stroke by controlling your cholesterol. Visit stroke.org today. Welcome back to Emerging Ease with Keisha on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Before the break, we were talking about um, stress and how to know uh, what stress looks like. And I was just touching on uh, workaholic, being a workaholic. Oftentimes, being a workaholic, we focus on how this is benefiting my family, how this is helping me save how this is getting me closer to certain goals. There is absolutely nothing wrong with work. There is absolutely nothing wrong with being dedicated to your work or even volunteering, okay, because we have to look at sometimes we can be workaholics and volunteering. There is absolutely nothing wrong with volunteering and working. 
The thing is, when we use that as a way to avoid coping with things in our lives and challenging uh, other areas that we need to improve. Also, when we use that as our only way to interact in life, and we don't give ourselves a time to relax, a time to do something for self. Um, other behavioral signs, of course, you know, absenteeism. If you're always calling in to work because the minute you wake up, uh, you get a headache because i got to get ready for work. Um, I put a meme on my Facebook page. My back doesn't start hurting until I get ready to get dressed for work. And sometimes that, that needs to be looked at because that's usually a sign of stress. If you can put on some jogging pants and a T-shirt and you're just fine, but you change into work clothes in that same moment, um, and you all of a sudden start hurting and aching and your throat is itching, that, that may be your sign of stress. So I want to talk about two different types of stress so that we can get a better understanding of what it is. Uh, there are two types of stress. There's positive, which is eustress, and there's negative, which is distress. Eustress is a positive form of stress um, that actually has beneficial effects on your health, motivation, thinking, uh, all your performance at work, physical performance in life, and emotional well-being. So something that would be a positive stressor would be getting married um, if you want to marry that person. Let's just put that out there. If it's something you really want. Holidays, uh, being excited about maybe decorating, getting together with friends and family, going on vacation, whatever you see as positive. Um, pregnancy, excited about having another baby or having a baby, uh, buying a house, um, excited about having your own to be able to uh, build. Um, anything that's just like, oh, my gosh, I, I'm so excited this is happening. Hey, graduation, that's a positive stress. It was stressful getting to it, maybe a little distressed, but it's positive when you get to that achievement. So any type of achievement, accomplishment, or goal being checked off, that could be considered a eustress. Distress, on the other hand, which is the opposite, is a state of emotional suffering associated with stressors, and um, it demands that you have the ability to have to cope with life. So it means that you need to have some coping skills put in place so you do not have those negative impacts on your mental, physical, spiritual being. Um, now, negative stress, it could be, um, can lead to loss of productivity, can lead to, lead to all kinds of health problems, especially heart issues, high blood pressure, uh, stroke, all kinds of things, and exhaustion. Um, with exhaustion, that means like maybe even you're feeling overwhelmed with everything that you have going on. And so because you're feeling so overwhelmed, you just don't do anything, which many times looks like depression. And it could actually be you are stressing. And not saying that depression and stress don't go together because they do, but if you can challenge some of the things that are causing you stress, that can sometimes help you unravel the depression. So we're going to kind of talk about um, coping skills now. So now that we know what stress is, what it can look like um, on the behavioral side, on the emotional side, on the mental side, and, um, oh, I, I skipped over some of the physical signs. I think many of us know that um, stress can lead to weight loss or weight gain, and it can lead to um, 
to us feeling um, palpitations, dizziness, shortness of breath, where you think you may be having a heart attack. It could be stress. Um, it can lead to uh, digestive issues, difficulty digesting things, difficulty holding those things down, uh, difficulties with your bowels, all kinds of things. So with coping with stress, we have emotional coping, which is um, looking at uh, what we can do for ourselves to reinforce uh, positive emotions, reinforce um, because our emotions and our thoughts are closely connected. They are directly connected, actually. Um, Reinforce things that are going to promote uh, self-efficacy, promote you saying to yourself, you know what, I got this. I can do this. Um, I may not be perfect at it because no one is perfect, but I'm doing the best that I can. And if if there's something I need to improve with the way I do this or to change, I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to do something extra and go the extra mile. Also, coping skills help physically because it helps that muscle tension, those muscle knots, release. When, those, when that releases, your body um, has a whole different type of energy because there's not a lot of toxins stuck in your body because of that muscles are tensing up, therefore constricting blood flow, therefore limiting oxygen into the body to help get many of the toxins out. So therefore toxins, toxins excuse me, can get locked up in our bodies like that. Many times we're always wanting to say, hey, I need to do a cleanse, I need to do a cleanse. Honestly, saying anything against doing a cleanse, what about de-stress? Declutter your life. Do something that's going to help you relax. Swallowing a whole bunch of herbs and minerals, that's awesome. But if you're constantly in a knot because you won't ask for help at work or you won't say, hey, this is my boundary and I can't go past that with friends or family, then you can drink all the minerals and herbs and vitamins that you like, but that stress is going to stay until you do something about that stress. So uh, with self-care and coping skills, I came up with a list of some things that I wanted to offer and to explain why these help. So one thing that I, I really, really like about this list is learn something new every day, whether it's big or small. And it doesn't have to be some type of uh, big, huge thing. Get the app on your phone that is uh, dictionary.com, I think it is. It sends you a new word every day. And it's so interesting, the things that you can say instead of the the common words that you use every day. It's just, it's interesting. And then you start to think, like, dang, how can I use that? And then, like, oh, shoot, I'm going to use this at work in this meeting so they can know exactly how intelligent I am in my area. Uh, So use that. Um, Push yourself outside of your comfort zone at work. So instead of doing the same basic mundane things, if there's something else in your job description that you've either been fearful of or been reluctant to try to do, start to try it. See see what you can offer to it. Because usually the things that we're scared of, we really have a a really good handle on. We just haven't walked through doing it because we fear it and we say, oh, well, you know, if I were to do it, this is how I do it and this is what I do and this is what I do. And you, we haven't realized that we've come up with so many solutions and so many problems. You just haven't stepped out and used it. Um, of course, exercise, exercise, exercise. It doesn't have to be the huge, intense stuff, but go walking. Go for a jog if you're up for that. Lift some weights. 
You don't have to go in there and start out with 100 pounds and up. Get you some that you can just put in your hands and carry while you walk. Um, set goals and set boundaries. We're going to talk about boundaries and goals in depth next week. So just a heads up. Another one that I tell people all the time, and I do this a lot, my friends and family know this, laugh. Find something to laugh about often, 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 several times a day, laugh. The thing is with laughter, it not only helps us challenge fears that may come up, it immediately challenges stress. Now, I'm not saying just sit there and out of the blue laugh into laugh into the air because then yes you may need a psyche valve. But what I am saying is, you know, uh when you're on Facebook, instead of going for the drama, go find a meme, laugh at it. Instead of going to the difficult uh shows on television or movies, go find a comedy. Go listen to comedy. Uh, I believe it's Pandora offers like a comedy station if you have um, serious XM or a radio thing, listen to somebody that's, that's you know, a comedian. I'm sure we all have friends and family that we can go talk to. And the minute you see them, you know this is not the person I need to sit by in church because they're going to clown all the time. Call that person. Hang out with that person. Laugh. We Many times as people, we take life way too seriously. And because of that, we live in such a state of stress that we don't even know what being in eustress it really is because we're so distressed. So what laughter does is it enhances your oxygen intake, uh, stimulates your heart, your lungs, and your muscles, and increases your endorphins. And I'm going to tell you about endorphins in a minute. That's the business. Um, it also helps you um, activate and relieve your body's natural, natural stress response meaning it, your body has a natural ability to challenge stress, and by laughing, you automatically kick that off. Laughter activates different uh, organs, one of which is uh, it helps your muscles relax. It also, uh, when you laugh, muscles uh, start to expand and contract in your abdomen. Uh-oh, look at that. Exercise, crunches, flat tummy. It's the summer. Um, laughter helps improve uh, your metabolism. Uh, which in turn is your body's ability to burn calories and lose weight by laughing. So researchers have uh, determined that just 15 minutes of laughter a day can help you burn between 10 and 40 calories. So, I mean, if if I'm enjoying myself, de-stressing, losing weight, tightening my abs, yeah, I'm finding something to laugh about every day. And don't go pushing people and, and throwing stuff in people's paths, but find something to laugh about every day. Um, I want to touch on endorphins right quick so I can explain how endorphins are such a positive for us, and it's a natural part of our body. Endorphins help to diminish the perception of pain. Now, the thing is that's mental, emotional, and physical pain, Okay. So uh, it's manufactured in our brain and our spinal cord and other parts of our body, and it's released um, like uh, as a neurotransmitter, okay? So with that, endorphins um, act on the receptor, receptors of our brain that um, reduce, uh, that respond to 
pain, and uh, it boosts pleasure. So with that being said, the way we boost our endorphins is, of course, laughter, activity, um, exercise, and guess what? Close your ears because I'm about to say it. Sex. Sex increases endorphins. So don't, I'm not saying go out and have sexual contact with everybody or just any random person, but if you're in a situation that supports that, go for it. Endorphins also promote improved immune health. So a person that um, is has a good, healthy level of endorphins in their blood flow, um, they're actually doing something more to, um, to support physical health. So you see how all of it is uh, joined together. Um, we, we are one as far as mind, body, and spirit. And so we have to be mindful that with stress, we have to look at how it really is affecting us. Like I said, next week we will talk about boundaries and setting boundaries, what they look like, what is something that is healthy for you or something you want and you haven't figured out how to put words to it. Well, today I'd like to thank you for tuning in. Um, I hope that today's discussion has been and will continue to be helpful to you in your life's journey. You've been listening to uh, Emerging Ease with Keisha on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Have an Thank awesome you for day. tuning in. I appreciate you for taking such a time as this to participate in your personal improvement with Emerging Ease. I'm Keisha, your host. Remember that in everything, there's an opportunity to learn and grow. If you are experiencing a difficult time, please reach out to the National Crisis Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. And I look forward to hearing from you next week on Emerging Ease with Keisha. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.